The following is an at-will presentation. Echo. You know that feeling you get when you meet someone else and you see your future self? For someone like me who thinks very highly of the man that I am and the man that I want to be, it's a rarity. Not to blow my shit up entirely, but I don't know too many people like me. Echo. Mr. Rutherford, a face we've come to know on the screens and social media feeds and magazines like a bottle of 1964 Rothschild, uncorked, detectable, delectable, not a silver fox, the silver fox, Echo, something I've come to look forward to, a wisdom in his eyes, he's seen truth before I even truly knew. When I saw him for the first time, I saw myself, parts of myself, parts of my future self, Echo. It's hard to explain, but it's not just in the way we look. Yeah, we both got that white privileged, I know I look good, kind of mathematically proportioned, bone structured, Bruce Weber vibes, but it's not even about that. It's something internal. Double trouble separated by just a number, a brightness, a likeness of lightness, an ear-to-ear -ear grin, familial even, transcending sexuality. When you turn away matters of the flesh, all you have to take in are matters of the spirit. When you turn away matters of the flesh, all you have to take in are matters of the spirit. That's Echo. I have the feeling that we spent lifetimes together, but I barely even know him. Echo. What you call out, you get back. Echo, I am you, you are me, we are it. What I see in him exists in me. Echo. My name is Nico Tortorella. Welcome to the Love Bomb. This is a conversation with a man I love named Eric. I wear purple panties, but I actually really don't. What kind of underwear are you wearing right now? Right now? Yeah. Uh, black Calvin Klein briefs. Briefs. Yeah. Briefs is the way to go. I, you know what? I'm not a boxer guy. Yeah. No, never have been. But like actually like tidy whitey no, briefs, no. not boxer briefs. There's just too much movement down. It just, other things happen. And right. there's just like right. too much friction when you're wearing boxers. That's what I'm saying. The friction causes reaction. Right. Which is not necessarily always good. No. If you're in a meeting. Are you uncircumcised or circumcised? I'm circumcised. You are circumcised. Yes. I'm circumcised too. And speaking of friction, um, you know that when you're circumcised, you lose like 60% of the feeling yes. in your penis? Yes. Like, and we can Which is crazy because my is incredibly sensitive. Oh, really? So I can't even imagine what that would make me. I'm like angry about it sometimes. Are you? Yeah. I mean, there's a way that I've like done research on how you can like re- uncircumcise yourself. I've never, like, tried to do anything, but there's, like, ways that you can do it. You can, like, wear weights and shit. Mm, it's a whole thing. Yeah. You can get lost in the internet. I think there's other anything. things I would encourage you to focus your time and efforts <laughs> on. I'm just saying it's an option out there. I like options. Options are good. I think <laughs> options are good. Who are you, Mr. Eric Rutherford? Well, I am many things, and then I'm just myself. Well, what do you do? Let's start with that. That's a funny question, because especially now... Yeah, I have no idea what you do, actually. The funny thing is, some days I don't know what I do either. <laughs> um, you know what? I think, for me to describe myself, people do. They say, what do you do? And what I... When I my first response is, I do nothing. <laughs> and hopefully, I get to laugh. <laughs> I'm laughing. Good. Uh, and then, when I try to be a little more clear and conversational, I say, I work with brands in different capacities which helps to then narrow it down a little because people are like, oh, well, 
you're a model. Oh, you're an influencer. Oh, you produce events. Oh, you do brand strategy. Well, actually, I do all that stuff. Right. And I just get hired again in different capacities. And sometimes they overlap. Right. Um, so that's kind of what I'm doing now. What was your like first job when you were younger? Like, like what did you do for the longest amount of time? Those are two different questions. I was going to say those are two different questions. But my, well, my first job that I nece- wasn't necessarily paid for, but I needed to show up consistently for was children's theater. Okay. So where I, and I started doing that when I was 11. Me too. Yes. Wow. And the funny thing is, I had no inclination. I didn't wake up every day, like, the sun will come out tomorrow type guy or whatsoever. My mom made my brother and I do theater. I literally have the exact same story. Are you kidding? Yeah, no. There was an audition at the Wilmette Children's Theater for The Wizard of Oz, and my mom was like, you guys have to go because you guys need to be more confident. Okay. And so we went and auditioned. Same thing. Mine was Alice in Wonderland. Oh my God, that's so funny. And my mom wanted it confidence, but she as much wanted us to be well-rounded. Right. So as much she pushed us to do theater as well as play football. Yeah, well, we were playing hockey, too. See, I wasn't doing any sports. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah. Where did you grow up? In Boca Raton, Florida. In Florida. You? Uh, Chicago. Okay. North Shore, Chicago. 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 It came out yeah, a little. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It comes out a little bit. Yeah. Less and less. Yeah. Um, how so old are you? I'm 48. 48. How old are you? 27, turning 28. I like this back and forth. Wait, when's your birthday? July 30th. Yours? Did I know that? I don't know. When's your birthday? August 3rd. Okay. That's why I was like, yes. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. Yeah, I mean. Mm, Right, exactly. (laughs) I get that. What you guys can't see right now is both of us are beaming ear to ear. (laughs) I think they can hear it in our voices. (laughs) Completely. Um, That's actually very funny, Mr. Leo. Yeah, right. And you and I were talking about my brother earlier. Uh Um, He's uh, July 24th. Oh, wow. Yeah, so that's why I was thinking the two of you would get along. How many siblings do you have? Just the younger. Okay, just you, you two. Yeah. Just the younger. Do you see how I dropped that Me in there? Me and my younger brother, too. Exactly. That's, <laughs> what's the age difference? A year and a half. Oh, so you guys grew up together. Yeah, we're, I mean, we're like, could two be twins. Pu- oh, it's true. I've seen you guys. Yes, yeah. that's true. Um, yeah, it's interesting for my brother and I, because it was a five-year age difference. Right. I mean, I know that's not generational, but it, the experience of life, it truly did make a difference of when I was finished going through something he was just starting to go through right you know so it was um it made it for a very interesting time uh especially because i mean i remember like i left home at 17 yeah and he was 12 so he was still so you guys were never like in school together or anything no yeah. no but we went to the same school so mm-hmm. i was this i don't know what he like he, he were you was, like super popular in high school the funny thing was <laughs> that's why i was laughing because <laughs> he talks about me as I was this. I was super popular. I was this Eric Rutherford that I, you know, like got all these kind of labels or whatever. And my experience of high school was not that. Right. Even though I was captain of the football team. Oh, so you were playing football? Yeah. No, I played for. I played for seven years. I played four years tackle pee wee, wow. and then I played three years at for a varsity. And I was then senior. I was captain of the team. Captain of the football team. I know. Boca Raton, Florida. I know. Were you prom king too? No. No? No. And I was certainly an awkward... I was not... I mean, I was okay looking. Do you know what I mean? Like, I I modeled and everything like that. I did commercials when I was a kid. But that's not how I saw myself whatsoever. I didn't see myself as attractive. Or, you know what it was? Um, 
there was this crew of kids that uh, I played local football with, and we were we called ourselves the Brady Bunch, and it was three guys, three girls, and the two guys were the most popular guys in Boca Raton. Okay. Um, and one was the quarterback for like the local team, and one was the running back, Tiger Buck, and they Tiger were the Tiger Buck. Tiger Buck. That's the I know. Best name I've ever heard. In my right, life. it's amazing, and he lived up to it. Like all, he was blonde, like ripped talented, smart, all the girls loved him. Um, and then I was I always felt like I was like the third wheel, hmm. but they liked having me around for some odd reason. Yeah. So that was kind of always how I felt. So like going back to was I prom king or even on the court? No, I wasn't. Really? Yeah. Were you dating girls in high school? I was dating girls and dating boys. Really? Yes. Like openly? Or no, no. That was that's why my senior year was kind of I mean, when I talk about it, I say I, I feel like I was living a double life because hmm. I was dating girls and I was dating boys. I would say men, actually. Mm, interesting. Um, yeah. So it was just it was an interesting time. Very confusing for me. Very um, uncomfortable um, because, you know, you're tr- you're trying to find yourself, mm-hmm. you know, and and even at the same time, like I was saying, I did theater so, and at that time, and again, I'm because I'm so old, um, you know, that was in the 80s. Right. So this idea of you could be this masculine guy and still do theater or vice versa, do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It, it didn't gel whatsoever. So there were some times during school I would leave to go do a matinee. Mm-hmm. And then I'd go back and, to, and then do football practice or whatever it was, you yeah. know. So it was people didn't really know how to... Oh, totally. Label me or, and I didn't know how to look at myself either. Right. You know, like, where do you fit in? I remember when I stopped playing hockey, it was seventh grade. I said I was going to act full time. I was like, I was like best friends with all the popular dudes in school, right? But the second I quit playing sports and started to only do theater, they like X'd me out of the crew, like a hundred percent. I mean, I was like, I would spend hours in the principal's office, like, Long story short, even my principal in middle school, this is a crazy story. My principal in middle school, um, set, sixth and seventh grade was was a man, Dr. Reed. Eighth grade, we get a letter saying that he transitioned into a woman for eighth grade. And oh I spent God. like hours in the principal's office. Like I was super tight with Dr. Reed. So that was like my first introduction of anything trans ever. Wow. And on top of it all, I was being called gay from all of these kids. Like they all X'd me out. I was... And then I, like, became friends with all the popular girls, right? And I, like, sat at the popular girl table for lunch every day. I had no problem with it. Sure. I mean, those are still, like, my good friends, the right. popular girls. You know? Well, it's funny. I find that interesting, too, because I remember distinctly, you know, you know, part- more when I was younger, not necessarily when I was um, in high school, you know, 17, 16 years old, but when I was in, the, like, tw- you know, 11, 12, 13, and I was just playing local. And I remember doing theater because I would do theater on the Saturdays. And some of the guys from the team would come to, like, see the show or support mm-hmm. me or whatever. And I, it's funny. It felt a little, your favorite word, fluid. Um, <laughs> or, or let, like, they, would, they were there as my friends, you know? Right. And so it was that, I remember that was a nice feeling to have. Totally. And yet I still felt like an outsider because, like, where do I fall into this? Because I am not one thing. I am not another thing. Um, not this, not that, beyond definition. Exactly. Um, how old were you when you first knew that you wanted to explore outside of women? So here's the interesting thing. Um, I actually was molested mm. when I was 13 um, by someone older. Okay. Uh, and that was how I knew. 
Wow. Yeah. So it wasn't like some wonderful or sweet, innocent kind of moment of playing around with another with a friend right. and you realize like there's there's an attraction or seeing someone on TV or whatever it is. It was you know, in high in hindsight, like I didn't realize what had happened. Right. And it really wasn't until I was 21 or 22 and a friend of mine who had gone to Yale, she was a shrink and uh. like really focused on child like development and psychology or whatever, she finally said she goes that is what has happened to you. Because for me, it was a stereotypical case of like it it felt good at the time you know it was it i knew something had happened or and i hate something, to say something bad something had happened wrong. something wrong because it happened at the theater mm. and i remember the first time it happened that literally there was a hallway that was leading back from um, the dressing room where this it had happened. And it was as if shards of glass were raining down on top of me. And I remember this hallway, and it wasn't a long hallway. I just remember this physical feeling of walking down back into, because it was the backstage area, mm-hmm. and walking back through it and just going, my life just changed. And my mom then showed up a few minutes later to pick me up, to take me home, because it was a night, it was a night show. Mm-hmm. And just, you know, feeling both crushed, ripped open, not literally, but um, that was a joke. Um, (laughs) 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 Um, But and just going my, okay, so I am I I am now forever this I'm now I can never go back or whatever. This being what? This being, I'm, I'm now gay because I was okay. because I'd already been doing theater for a while because that was I was 13 and so you know 11 ish so I was already I'd already been around we'll say gay people right. lesbian you know, the whole thing you knew so what it was I knew what it was and you know it was interesting but I was like this preppy little kid right. you know um, so that happened and then it you know you could almost say like a, literally a door closed and another one opened uh-huh. and it wasn't like I went crazy or wild or everything and and I say this too because it, it's you know it's so obviously so much of what happens as children kind of then become defines us and you know and shapes us or wires get you know plugged in or something and and I remember once it had happened and it happened once or twice again same guy same guy at my house um, now it, I will throw this out there it really is like I was doing stuff to him he wasn't really doing stuff to me okay so and I say that because Whereas other people, it was it became this traumatic, physical, right. painful thing. It wasn't that for me. So that's why then when my friend finally says, you were molested, this thinking, happened yeah. to you, it was like it made my brain like, what happened? You know, like, wait a minute, wait a minute, what? How is that right? Because it felt good. Because in the time, you didn't think that that's what it was. No, I knew it was not right. right? So, and I say that because it then set a tone. Oh, I say, because once he... Did it a couple of times. We did it a couple of times. He wasn't interested. Oh, that was it. It was it was I it. And so spark. Lo- completely. And so then I was left. Were you like infatuated with this person? It wasn't that I was infatuated. It was more infatuated the feeling. The feeling. Yeah. The feeling of attention. The feeling of knowing that you're doing something wrong. Not even the doing no. something wrong. It was the I think and love. I know is too broad a term or right. or too. Um, and that's probably wasn't the feeling it was. Mm-hmm. But it was just a feeling of it was a nice feeling. You you know. And so then I started seeking it out, and, and, it, and then it kind of set a pattern of older, seeking things out, right. yearning. You know, certainly you could say daddy issues, whatever it was. Yeah, I was just going to say. Yeah. Um, and then I, 
and that again just set a tone and so i then started i was i always had older friends mm-hmm. in high school so then um we started going i went to probably my first gay bar when i was 14 wow 14 and this is the 80s so yes, this is that's like and that, not the happiest no, time for gay men at all at all so the, and that's what i'm saying like it was such a different lonely time wow um so that you know then we go to this 14 and again not consistently but it was the first time i was there and then more and more I was 15 I was out and then I started I started dating someone or spending time with someone really because I mean what's dating now yeah. was certainly different with dating then mm-hmm. um, and I will always remember like I couldn't drive wow so I would lie to my parents and go down to Fort because I lived in a town just about 30 minutes 40 minutes north of Fort Lauderdale <clears throat> go to a bar gay bar spend the night at his house he would drive me back up because I didn't have a car. He would drop me a block away from my house, and then I would walk in. Wow. So it became this whole kind of pattern, yeah. right, of deceit, hiding. It, but at the same time, it, it, you know, it's so funny. So much of I see today and what I get encouraged about today is people identifying. And I know that's one of the things we're going to talk about today is how do you identify as yourself and and there's so much more positivity about identifying yourself and not even necessarily label, but just who you are and embracing mm-hmm. that, right? Whereas then it wasn't. And yet for me, I didn't, in, in my core, I didn't feel there's anything wrong with me. Right. It was just- Ever? No, I, certainly there was ever, you know, because I, but at my core and whether, maybe it's because I'm a positive person or yeah. I believe in, you know, the positive of life and people, you know, whatever. But because it, I just remember- Oh, and I, you know, it's leading up to this. So the, my, he would drop me off and it was a Sunday and I walked into my parents' house and my mom and Wide Wide World of Sports was on TV and it was in the afternoon and we got into a fight for some reason. I can't exactly remember what it was and she was questioning me about what I did and, and I was angry at her because I was being questioned about myself and for me, there wasn't anything questionable. Oh See, does that make sense? Yes, I, Jordan, I have had the exact same experience. So, so, so I blurted it out that I was gay. Not as much to shocker. Well, maybe it was a shocker too to hear, but it was wait, wait a minute, this is me. Yeah. And and then obviously then hell broke loose, um, because that. And you're 15 at the time. I'm 15. So high school, my parents were very young when they had me. We, we joke about that we grew up together. Mm. I mean, they were 22 wow. when they had me. So we literally went through this process. Yeah. Midwestern values. Um, and it, there's a class of things like, you know, cl- classic case response, I should say, is where my mom was like, no, you're not. What did I do? How did I go wrong? What did I do yeah, to you? What, fault, the whole thing. And, and you're like, what? Wait, that's, that's nothing not, to do that's with not, you. That's yeah. not it at all. My father didn't know how to react. Like, I also have to say too, my I started drinking uh, heavily probably when I was 13, 14 years old. So by the time I was 15, I was definitely drinking a lot mm. and I started doing drugs as well. So that was already being introduced into the, we'll say the relationship with my parents. Right. So there was that strife that was already there. So it was unheightened on a top of like, hey, I stay out all night, I'm booze or whatever, and I'm gay. So it became, it, things just blew up. Like at a certain point, I don't even think it was that day, but you know, with certainly in the next few months, my father like wanted to kick me out of the house. Mm. And again, they reflect back and they, they have apologized repeatedly for how they dealt with it. I mean, they were young, right? Yeah, exactly. So and you were their first kid. First kid, 
going through it. Through it. So it was just an interesting. Would you time. say that guy was the first person that you were in love with? Were you in love with that guy? Uh, I think there was probably an infatuation right. with him, or you know, in growing up at that time, obviously you couldn't log in or check someone's right. Instagram or Facebook or whatever it is, or or even search for people that were like you, right? right? It was, you are catching glimpses of stories on TV or in the movies or in a newspaper, or, you know, I mean, how dated does that sound? But, you know, or a magazine or something. And so for me, it was obviously a very lonely time because mm-hmm. there was there were no role models for me. Totally. There was no one for me to aspire to be like. There was, and I was conflicted with myself in the sense of, oh, I should say, like, I mean, I would go out and I'd be, you know, I love to say this. People would be like, I knew I was a little different because on Monday morning, you know, everyone would be sitting around the lunch table or whatever, like, oh, hey, what'd you do this weekend? What'd you do this weekend? Whatever. And like, everybody like, oh, well, after the game, we went and got pizza and we snuck some beers out into the woods and then we made out and smoked cigarettes. And I'm like, cool. And then I, they're saying like, well, Eric, what'd you do? And I'm thinking to myself in my head, well, well after the game, I jumped in a car and drove down to Lauderdale and picked up my drug dealer boyfriend and was doing coke and drinking all night at a gay club and dancing with you know, drag queens until five o'clock in the morning. And you think to yourself, there's something different here. Yep, something's, something's a little different. So, and at the same time though, I was very much this preppy kid, you know, passionate about life, positive, um, loving theater, loving sports, loving, you know, loving my family. Were you loving yourself at this time? You know, there was always, I, listen, if, if I try to say it's a, because, listen, it got very dark, yeah. certainly. I mean, I understand that. Yeah. I know. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, it got very dark, but there was never, I never, again, as dark as it got, I never lost, even that, if it was the smallest kernel pinhead of hope or mm-hmm. faith or light, that spark ever you know and you know and certainly it di- I've definitely did because I mean I got sober that was my next question yeah I got sober when I was 21 it, oh wow yeah so by so I so you like went through it in your teen years through it and then by the time you were 21 legally able to drink you were I, done I was done did you I go to out. AA was the whole the whole thing, thing. AA. Yeah. yeah and that's what I was gonna say like when I when I was 17 it, it was where it was hitting this moment where I almost didn't graduate high school wow. because I was so lost and just because I didn't know I I mean I we even look back at it like I may have had some kind of a mini breakdown you know because just not knowing where I fit in people in high school were starting to find out that I was gay right. I mean, high school itself isn't hard enough no exactly these other well also too I was captain of the football team my senior Jesus. year <laughs> I was this I looking, how are you playing football and well, doing all this stuff well that was game? it that was why it, I, th- I think it was such so kind of untender you know footing right because it's like where do you turn so you know you play and we actually had we were had a winning season we were the we had the best team this high school had ever had I mean we went to a small high school so to have this kind of glory at the same time right. and I was one of the captains and I was a linebacker so it was this whole again like double triple layer life of what you're going on so I felt and I and I use this word because it's a part of so much of my growth I didn't feel safe anywhere because even when down in the clubs that I was enjoying it I was escaping but, but that wasn't really place. who I was yeah. mm-hmm. you know and then at home the same thing and then at high school there was no place and so again you know so then I I graduated and 
um, and then left right away. I'd been accepted to USC's BFA theater program, and which was, again, a glimmer of hope for me. Interesting. Because uh, I didn't think of myself. You had to audition for that. I had to right? audition to get in. They only accepted 15 guys and 15 girls wow. from across the country. That's great. So that was the first... I didn't listen. I didn't think I was talented. Yeah. I didn't think I had something. But you had. I had something. Yeah. So again, that was a glimmer for me. So it got me three thousand miles away from Florida out to Los Angeles, and you know at the time it was really New York, Boston, or L.A. And I, the, all were possibilities for me to go to, and I had two friends of mine that had already graduated and were in New York. And they said to me, do not come here. You will be dead within the year. New York in the 80s, man. Yeah. So, well, that's a whole other conversation. Yeah. I mean, that's in which we can go back to. So it was like, yeah, because my whole sexual experience was, well, it's just, it was dark. It well, There was no, I never had any kind of Pollyanna experience for me. Like, I never, I don't even, I mean, the first time I even really dated someone my own age or close to my age, I think was... Not my late twenties. Really? Yeah. Um, you were always dating older. Always dating older. So it was always, you know, you that your sense of self, or for me, I, again, anything that I say today is really my experience, and I only speak from that. I will for only sure. ever speak from that. I won't speak about somebody else's or whatever. But it's really what I've gone through, and, and certainly what I've hopefully learned. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it puts you. It's. I think it's a joy to be around someone older. I think it's to to allow that experience in and that kind of love. I mean, it's a, it's also a different kind of love. Um, mature love. Mature right? love or experience, a love that has been experienced so it's a, maybe a little understanding. Because listen, we've all met people that they can be younger or older and there's a, just a different level of maturity. Yeah, totally. You know? Mm-hmm. And I've met a lot of older people, even now, I mean, because I'm 48 and I see some people my age and I'm like, you are acting like a 19-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, that's, you're nuts. What was like the first thing that somebody taught you that you remember about like what a mature love mean. It's funny the so I was in a relationship with someone who's twice my age when I was 20. Okay. So it was right before I got sober. Hmm. And was he sober? He was not sober. Okay. But he was someone who had done and had two careers that both of which I wanted to be part of. And again, this is going back. He was in the original Broadway cast of A Chorus Line, <laughs> and he had helped write it out. Um, and everyone's like, what's that? <laughs> Is that a movie? Um, so he had lived that life. And lived. And to me at the time, I was, to me, that was a dream come true, to be on Broadway, to be with that. And truly, really, for me, breaking it down, is that it was, it was a creative community that I'd always strived and wanted to be a part of. Right. That's what turns me on mm-hmm. about it, you know? It's just so accepting of everyone, Exactly. Too. So, you know, you say what did I, what was one of the first things that I learned from him was or from someone yeah. was he was so calm and comfortable about where he was in his life that he it allowed me to spin. And to me, that was a sign he loved me so much that he allowed me to spin and spin and spin and spin around him and was loving me while I was doing it. Mm. No matter and there was what. N- no matter what, and there was no judgment. There was no conditions. Mm-hmm. I mean, yes, of course, there, you in, when you're with someone, you you want to be a part and listen to and 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 you you know make that person happy and vice versa and the whole thing. And but it was truly that there was a calmness about him um, in who, who where he was in his life because he also had finished doing that and then becoming a really successful painter. Hmm. So two creative outlets that I've always seen myself or wanted to be a part of. And you know, at twenty, I was literally the year before I got sober. 
So. So you're what a sophomore? Uh, I was a so. Uh, I was a, yeah. a junior. Well, we could take it a step There's back. There's a story there too. There was. <laughs> so I when I got back when I got out to L. A. Um, started USC and being away from my parents' house, that was probably kind of the last vestige of guidelines or parameters or con- normal or control or whatever, and whatever the word you wanted is. Because now it's literally, it was, I was living in the dorms by myself. There was, yes, you had like a dorm master or whatever the frick it was. In South Central. <laughs> in South Central. And I had a car, you know, and you had a car. So freedom. there was nothing, there was, it was freedom. Mm-hmm. So I slowly but surely, you know, started meeting people in the community, in the gay community in West Hollywood. And it was yeah. still that kind of scary place to go. Doing what I do now in the sense of being a social influencer. Right. Um, I'm around people that are in their 20s mm-hmm. that are coming from small town America or whatever you want to call it. Right. And they are coming to this big city of Los Angeles. And there wasn't this area that they could go to. And it still holds that. I don't want to like compare it to like the magic of Oz, so to speak. No, but seriously. But it's a place to go and it's a place to be free and it's a place to dance and a place to be yourself and be silly and to find a family completely. that will just take you in with open arms. Well, you just said it. It's so much of it, and it always has been, is about a family. Right. But as we know, their families come in all different shapes and forms. Mm-hmm. And even within that family, there are different families. Totally. A hundred percent. So So when you got sober, you were twenty one. Mm-hmm. Is that the first time like you really started to like appreciate yourself or love yourself or um, well, like you know a what? grander scheme? Yeah, I mean, because isn't it the, one of the greatest acts of love to actually then do something about change your life in such a dramatic it's, way, I mean, right? It's the only yeah. real love that I think exists. Yeah, so, you know, like I said before, there was always that kernel of positivity or light right. belief for me. As dark, again, as dark as it got. It just shadowed. So when I did get sober, it wasn't some dramatic thing. It wasn't I was arrested. It wasn't that I was, you know, I hurt someone or hurt myself. Or I just rem- I remember distinctly it was I was a Friday night. I was drinking champagne by myself in a friend of mine's in one of these great condos, you know, on the Sunset Strip, looking out over you know L.A. And I'm going on, and I'm so maudlin and self-pitying and drinking alone. I mean, literally, it's like it was like it was hysterical. It was like a bad sitcom. Um, and he looks at me and he goes, "Well, where are you going to do something about it?" And I was like, ah, "You know, whatever." And he and he said, and he, a friend of his was celebrating a year of sobriety the next day, and it was someone who I looked up to, who's a successful TV writer, was in a loving relationship, who was older. Um, and it was all the and it, it, good looking. I mean, everything like he had his life together and it was someone that used an example of what I would want my life to be like. So whether it was an act of love for myself or I was exhausted from doing the other or again, it's all or all the same and truly wanting something different mm-hmm. in my life. So showed up the next day. I will say I Help give the cake, but I did not stand up that night. But the next morning, <laughs> you can't stand up the first. Night. I don't. Why not? You know, it's like I like to like. I just had to get one more drink in there or whatever. My first AA, I went drunk. You did? Yeah. Really mm-hmm. interesting. What was that like? Fuck it, I was a mess. A mess. Wait, what got you there? Well, I mean, myself, really. Mm. No, but like that day, the fact that you were drunk and you went, what got you there? I was uh, I was FaceTiming with my therapist while I was driving, drunk. Okay, that's good too. I was like, I, I, I don't know what to do. And I called my best friend, Eric Phillips at the time. And he said, stop driving, I'm coming to pick you up and we're going to a meeting. 
Wow. That's what we did. Wow. Yeah. That was one of three meetings I've ever been to. I'm not a product right. of AA, not that I have anything oh. bad to say about it. I think it's an amazing, amazing place. But, yeah, it was... Wait, so go. let's go back a second. So what was, for you, what was the cause of your drinking? I mean, what... Well, I think for so long, it was a creative outlet for me. You know, it, it, it wasn't even... Yeah, the social aspect was, like, really awesome, and I had a great time, and I, you know, partied with a lot of really cool people. But for so long, like, it allowed me to just break walls down in myself that I got turned on by, that I could, like, become these different people and, and take on these different characteristics and attributes and, like, explore. I mean, because as an actor, that's, like, what we do all the time, sure. right? We're exploring other people. And it just opened shit up for me. And it just, I mean, there came a point where it stopped doing that and closed everything for me. And I was hurting myself and other people. And right. it just was like, this sucks. And I want my life to be better. Right. And So I have a question for you. Yeah, go ahead. Looking back on it now, do you feel... Because you're saying that was the way you explored yourself, or you it allowed you permission right. to be other things. Do you now see that like you actually you don't need that? It's within you anyway. Oh yeah, yeah. And, and what uh, but, what that? Oh, hold on. Yeah. What? <laughs> giving me the hand. <laughs> Why did you at the time feel closed or cuffed that you needed the alcoholic? I don't think I have... to me, I always, I, and again, I know only, I know you this way. Right. So I don't, I see you as being this expressive, free, powerful, passionate, exciting. I, I don't see you as someone stifled or controlled or. Yeah, no. So that's why I'm interested. I'm interested. It never was a problem before I started drinking. Right. It's just like when I started drinking, it became like more powerful. Got it. Everything that I was doing just like became freer. Right. Not that I was caged at all to begin with. It was just like more, 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 always more. Right. I'm a fucking extremist in everything that I do. If I'm going to like do it, I'm going to do all of it. Right. And I don't know. That's just what it was. And the reason I say that is because when I started USC, mm-hmm. it was the first, well, I'd done a summer at Northwestern, their terror program. And it was the first time I had been with, we'll say other talented kids mm-hmm. my age and to see the, the the level of talent that's out there and you know and then and exploring and the whole thing and it was every dancer singers the whole thing whatever and so then when I got to USC it was interesting because obviously it was such a small program you know those first year and I remember now again I say this I was a full blown alcoholic and drug addict at the time but never felt that I needed that to be creative right. whereas then I remember the kids coming there and now again they were coming either from different backgrounds small towns whatever it is and they I remember like every Friday and Saturday night they'd be like. No, we have to get high, and they're going to do a smoke out to release their creativity. Right. And I always look back on that and I'm like, you're full of fucking shit. Mm-hmm. Are we allowed to say that on yeah, the podcast? Okay, I'm just checking. <laughs> it's fuck, my podcast. Fuck, 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 fuck. No, but so that's why I'm fascinated to hear that with you. It actually wasn't it wasn't that. It just mm-hmm. went sent you deeper. Yeah. Whereas my reaction when I heard kids say that, and I, you know, I guess part of it is because I because I've been sober for so long. Right. Um, and you've been sober since you were I, 21. I've, I've, I've cleaned and sober for, t- for thanks. I That's just celebrated 27 amazing. years. Wow. I know. And when's your birthday? Exactly. <laughs> um, dun dun dun. Um, and the only reason I say that is I have conversations with artists all the time, whether who are stru- trying to get sober or trying to find their way or can't pay their bills, mm-hmm. you know, which is a challenge because that, and I know you and I have talked about it, just that sense of artistic integrity. You know, do you lose that when you 
as people like to say, sell out? Do you, are you lessening yourself or lessening who you are as a creative when you do something, whether it's a commercial or you go get a job in a store or whatever it is. And so you're not, you know, that struggle, mm -hmm. the struggle is real. Do you yeah. know what I mean? And, and, and to me, I've never believed that. I've always been, and maybe it's because I've gone through my own struggle in the sense of finding myself and supporting myself and, and finding my way. And, and maybe because I'm going through my own renaissance now of even expressing my soul to self to a greater, you know, the greatest ability. I like being fearless now. Mm -hmm. So I've always said to artists, like, no, there is nothing wrong or judgment or whatever. You're not losing yourself if you're paying your bills. Yeah. You have to. You have to. And to me, that gives yourself, like, go be a waiter. Go, just don't get lost in it. Mm -hmm. Like, it's an end to a mean because that's going to allow yourself to be yourself. Were you ever a waiter? I was. You were? You went by, so you asked me one of my first jobs. So obviously doing it in the theater. But my first paid job um, was I was a busboy. Uh, in L.A.? In, in uh, Florida. In Florida. Yeah. My dad was like, get your fucking ass up and you're going to get a job. I worked at an auto body shop. You did? All throughout high school, yeah. Do I have to say that's kind of hot? <laughs> no, I mean, that's so stereotypical. <laughs> yeah, no. That's cool, though. Yeah. and I Did would, you know what you were doing? I mean, I would, like, change oil and shit, but I, for the most part, just worked at the front desk. And I was, I started smoking when I was, like, 14 years old. So yeah. I would just sit at the front desk Smoke. smoking cigarettes all day long while customers in, like, uh, upper-middle-class North Shore neighborhood were coming in just seeing this kid smoke cigarettes at the fucking auto body shop. I was the coolest kid ever. I was gonna, you're literally, you're, I was going to say, you're literally like a kid out of Larry Clark. I, and the funny thing is, I could just see you too, like totally hunched over, you know, like smoking the cigarette. She's coming in to pick up her car, and you're like, yo. Yo. Honey, your car's out back. Come on. At, at the time, I, I, had a, I had a 92 Mercedes 280SE, like, uh, coupe, sitting on 22-inch rims, white, and my license plates, <laughs> this is so ridiculous. My license plates, I had vanity plates, and I was only eating raw food at the time. So my license plate said, raw dude. Shut up. And looking back at it, that means something totally different. <laughs> it say. did to me in high school. Say. But I was the asshole rolling around in the bands with the fucking speaker system and the 22s, raw dude, smoking cigarettes. Asshole. Not much has changed, really. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, that's good stuff. I don't know how we get that. That's there, a visual. That yeah. is such a visual. Uh -huh. Let's jump gears a little yeah, bit. You're talking shift. about this renaissance now yes. that you're going through. Yes. What does that mean to you? So basically, I'll give you a little backstory. Um, two years ago, um, I ended a relationship after 16 years. 16 year relationship. 16 years. Wow. So I, I lean in for that. That is the longest relationship you've. Yeah. Been in. Yes. 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 So 16 years. Monogamous for 16 years? Yes. Wow. Yes. Oh, fucking A. It was work. I'm sure. Were you guys the same age? He was a few years older. But for the most part, yeah. compared to your history, yeah. you were the same age. Yeah. So you met when you were how old? Then? Third, I was 30. 30. Yeah. Wow. That's a long time. I know. Okay. So what, what happened after 16 years? So, you know, we were together. You know, it was a, it was a beautiful thing. I like to say life happened, yeah, and a lot of life happened in five years. Um, his best friend died of prostate cancer. In the midst of mourning, we had both dreamt and always wanted to be dads, fathers. And he had already started going through the process before we met. And then he stopped it when we got together so that we could kind of form and strengthen that relationship. Mm -hmm. 
I'd always dreamt about it, but hadn't really started pursuing anything, you know, and I, you know, for me, it always was going to be mine, you know, my sperm, my, you know, the whole idea of that. For him, um, he, he never thought that way. He, he was already looking at adoption agencies, kind of, you know, international adoption agencies, because he felt there are enough children in the world that just want to be loved. And he didn't have, need to have that kind of biological at all. He didn't feel that way, which I always was so moved by that really it was some kind of more higher of a higher calling 100%. or if you even want to call it that. So I finally eventually got, I finally, eventually I, I got to that point. So what we we're going to do is we were going to adopt a child through the foster system in California. I always wanted two kids cause I have just that understanding of, you know, being adopted, being alone, that kind of that struggle with it. But, and there's so many siblings in the in system. Agencies, yeah. Right. So it's like, keep the family together, so right. to speak. So we, while we were mourning, the loss of his best friend and his best friend was his 89 year old great uncle uncle jim um and he was just you actually would have loved him because <laughs> he uh was like best friends with george kukor uh, and Catherine hepburn and he was a, just he was in hollywood in the golden era so right. to speak and so anyway so he passed away and we were in the process of getting approved so we got approved for the agency and um all of a sudden we got a call twin boys two and a half years old I remember distinctly, it was on a Wednesday. And we had always thought, we'd always wanted one, a newborn, because I wanted to go through that process. Mm-hmm. And then then some, you know, like two and a half, three years old, whatever it is. And I remember we got the call and it was so shocking. Cause like, this is happening. Right. You, this is a me, this, this is it, this could be it. And I remember though looking at him going, it's not what we wanted. And then him saying, yeah. And then we both kind of caught ourselves like, wait a minute, this is what, you, you know, is coming to you. This is faith, fate, fate, whatever paths, crossing, whatever. And, and, and then even bigger picture, these are two kids that need a, that home. Need a home. And that was the biggest thing. So we kind of laughed about it, or I certainly remember laughing about it. And then we had the opportunity, which normally doesn't happen. We got to meet the boys on the Thursday. Uh, because they were they, two and a half? They were two and a half years old and they, cause they were already had been removed from the mom's house and they were with another foster family that actually didn't want them anymore. So, and then they sh- we said yes, and then they showed up at our house on Friday, and our lives changed. It yeah, um, I almost said their names, and I can't really say it. So immediately became this family unit. They were I had no idea. Yeah, so they that was in April, and um, they were scarred for sure. There are a lot of things that they were afraid, just and just going through this process, and you know he we had made this arrangement where it's he was going to be the stay at home dad. You know, and then I would pick up more work and I would travel. And at the time I was traveling a lot, um, but we did it. And so he was with them and he truly, I could cry. He, um, I mean, these, they couldn't go to sleep with their clothes, without their clothes on. They had to keep their clothes on. They were afraid to take a shower. They would overeat because they didn't know where their food was coming from. I mean, it was all these things. Mm-hmm. And he really, I mean, he's just, he, um, he just, he nursed them. He healed them. You know, and we became this unit. It was dad and dad. And, and um, it's not that I felt like it completed me, to quote Renee Zellweger, but it was as if it was, it made sense. It's a purpose, yeah. It made so, so much sense to me. And truly when they say when you have kids, all the little stuff falls away and don't sweat the small stuff or whatever. Any kind of like of my own emotional bullshit, his stuff or whatever, getting caught up in things or, or things with people even, you didn't have time for it. 
and because it, it was really about these kids. Mm-hmm. And so we slowly they got better, and we you know they we'd get up and then we got into a system, and they would we were there and um, we got them in school, and it was it took place over the summer, and we celebrated a birthday with them, and and it was wonderful and you know, we were going through this process and they were going to terminate the mother's rights because depending on the age, um, the birth parent or whomever's involved has a certain amount of time to kind of get their life together, get their act together. It's different in every state. Yes. So then it's, she had um, a year to get it together and because we got them, they had already been in the system. So it was at the tail end of it and everyone was saying, she's not doing it. She's not doing what she needs to do. She's unfit. She's not capable, the whole thing. So we started going through the process of they're ours. About five months in... The judge reversed the decision, um, but it was not. It had nothing to do with us. It had to do with um, the state of California was bankrupt, hmm. and every time a child becomes a ward of the state, they get a stipend. Jesus. And because there wasn't any money, so they were looking to change that, and so they said any child that hadn't been adopted would instead they should go to reunification with the birth parent. So that last month where we actually thought at the end of the six months we were going to get these boys and begin that process. Instead of getting them, we actually started the process of giving them back. And, um, you know, it was like, you know, this world was like breaking apart because it just was such a natural, it just felt so right, you know? And and I just remember like there was the last weekend and, and we had been so private and so protective of these boys that, we really didn't share it with a lot of our right. friends. And um, and even family. Like, it wasn't until the last weekend that we had them that my, we got my parents to fly out. And they introduced them so at least they knew that what we had gone through or met them. But to this day, we still have a lot of um, people that have no idea what um, that was like. So and sorry. we gave them back September 11th. So... And then that actually went on for a couple, for a couple years, because we ended up giving them back, and we had zero rights. We weren't allowed to know how they were. We weren't allowed to know where they were, what was going on, whatever. But they had said you could put a letter in their file in case they come back in, and so we did that. It didn't end in the sweetest way either. Obviously, that part was devastating as well. But she got mad at us the last weekend because she wanted to keep them, and they, we know because we were the guardians, the whole thing, and my family. I wanted them the whole thing, and. She ended up calling the police on us and said that I had molested one of the boys. Oh, my God. And um, so one of the final days that we have him, the cops showed up at our house. Um, My my ex would be very probably upset that I'm sharing this, but I share it because I'd talked about what had happened to me before. And so it all, like, my past flying forth and just that and to be so, like, like, I was gutted to even think that I would ever do, you know? So it was interesting, and I say that because when we we gave them back, but we still had to go through the whole process of the police report and the whole thing and interviewing us, the whole thing, and obviously we were found, nothing had happened, but it just was that, and and then I say that, so we put this letter in, and um, we ended up getting a call almost a year later saying they were back in the system. But then it turned out that they had been back in the system a month after we had given them back. And yet they, it, they're so overworked, they're so whatever that no one had time to look at for the at the letter, and so they were literally already been placed with another foster family when that we could have had them back. So again, I, I say that just because it was, 
um, you know, you're talking about the, the end of my relationship. So that happened. <laughs> that happened. That happened. Just and then, drop that down. How long ago was this? Oh, gosh. Eight. Could be eight years ago. Oh, wow. A long time ago. Yeah. So it was a while ago. Seven years ago at this point-ish. Yeah. And then, um, well, yeah, because I was 40. Uh-huh. Uncle Jim passed away right after I turned 40. He stayed alive to so that he could go to my birthday for me as my as a gift to me. And then he passed away like that. October, and then it was the following year. So you spent six months with the kids? Six months. Yeah. Were they talking at this point? Oh, yeah, full yeah. on. So that was the other thing. It's like, they could say dad and dad. They oh. could, they had opinions. They, I mean, it was just, you know. I cannot even I'll show you video. I'll imagine. show you video at some point. So anyway, that happened, and that went on for like a year, two years, because they kept coming back in. They said, do you want them? We said, yes. She still had time, though, to get her life, her act together, and then she lost the appeal, whatever, and then she appealed it, and then she got it back again. And then at a certain point, we're like, we have to move on. Yeah. And then, um, so that happened. We were remodeling a house. The guy did not do a good job. You can't sue them, so we had to take him to court. And then my um, ex had some health issues that were just devastating. Then we both were getting to this point of like, he was unhappy individually, I was unhappy individually. So much has happened at this point. Yeah, and, and it just got to the point of like, and I have to say, you know, and, and as he will say, you know, the final wedge in our relationship was social media because I, so I was doing events for a right. living and it's a whole brand marketing thing or whatever. And so you, you start doing every brand is like, what are we doing on social media? So you start doing that. And for me, it's always been a form of storytelling mm-hmm. and it's just like sharing what you're doing and you share pictures anyway. So that's, to me, it was that. And I started building a following as much from what I was doing, but as much of me, you know, enjoying, enjoying it. it. And so I started getting some attention that way. Which, thinking about the things that I've shared before, it's like, you know, listen, I've always suffered from self-esteem. Like, where do I fit in and who am I and the whole thing. And, and the good thing is I wasn't a kid anymore. So right. I knew that you can't, you know, you can relate to this. I remember when I first started doing theater, I had some great mentors too. You know, not some, they weren't all bad or whatever. Um, I had some great mentors and, you know, I got a bad review or, or no, it was a review. And someone said, you know, listen, if you're going to read the review, you can't just read the good ones. Mm-hmm. You have to read the bad ones as well. Totally. And take it for a grain of salt because it's really just someone else's opinion. It's like so, those trolls on Instagram that want well, to comment all that. That's exactly. Shit. And the funny thing is that I have used that mm-hmm. now becoming more in the public, we'll say. And the great thing is, you know, I'd quit acting and modeling and everything because I had gotten caught up in – them liking me, wanting me, me, me losing my sense of self and what I was bringing creatively to the table. And so I, it was, you know, which is fine because I ended up traveling, I did events around the world or whatever. But then when this came back around, all of a sudden, and I was more in myself, right. more being myself than I've ever been before. Totally. So then you're getting attention for that. And it was a great, because to me, it's a daily practice, as I'm sure you deal mm-hmm. with on a much bigger level than me, but, or the same. It's, I shouldn't even say that. I, I, I take that back, actually, because it, it's just the same. Yeah. A comment is a comment. It, and it what, doesn't matter how many fucking followers you exactly. have. Exactly. So if you're playing the game, you're playing the game. Absolutely. And, and so every day for me, and I share this when I talk to people, for me, it strengthens who I am every day. Mm-hmm. And, and, and self-awareness and self-worth. Completely. Really. It's like, yeah, do you want to get likes? For sure. It's as much as you, an artist wants to be appreciated for the painting. Right. But at the same time, it's not about that. It is being even more authentic, even more myself, even more of my truth. Mm-hmm. In sharing that, to me, it just strengthens who I am right. as a person. I believe as human beings, we are here to share our experience. 
And I believe when you go through something and you survive something and from it, you even thrive from it. I believe, and it gets me emotional every time. I believe it is our responsibility to share that Mm -hmm. because so often we do feel alone in this world. So often I was just talking to someone who's struggling with coming out and they're in their twenties that you're going to lose everything because you don't feel there's another person like you. You don't feel there's another person, you know, that has survived whatever it might be. Right. Mm -hmm. And so for me, that is part of me giving back. Do I think I'm fucking the most amazing person in the world? Oh my God. No. Do I struggle? Still have, do I struggle? Absolutely. But, and do, am I going to share every single thing that I'm going with? No, not necessarily because I also think there's something to about holding something back. Right. I always have a much easier time sharing the past of things that I've already survived from than I do sharing what I'm going through right Right. now. Right. Because I don't have a grasp on what I'm going through right now. I'm trying to figure it out. Tell me about it. But like, because of the past, I am the person that I am today, so I can talk about it more. Do you want to talk about what you're going through right now? In terms of what? I don't know. I just threw it out. It's a blanket statement. Um, Is there a struggle you're going through right now? No. No. As he pitches up. No. No. (laughs) No, I, there's not a struggle at all. The only struggle that I have is being consistent in the work that I'm putting out right now. I love that. But I love that. Um, and I love that struggle. Yeah. Like that's a nice, that's a wonderful struggle. Yeah. But I want to go back to this renaissance that you're yes. going oh, through yes, yes. right now. So let me, like, oh, let me finish that. Because of everything that you've gone through, mm-hmm. today, what does love mean to you? Oh my gosh. Let me include you a little of the renaissance bit. Do whatever bit. you need to do. Well, <laughs> some of... And I say going through renaissances, so what happened for me two years ago was also probably one of the best things that happened to me. So basically, my relationship ended, right. and we ended mutually in the sense of we both, as hard as it was, as sad as it was, and all those emotions, we are both really clear that we knew that if we ended this relationship, it would allow us both as individuals to reboot our lives and then step into something right right and he has he's flourishing which i love and we're still very close he will always be my family i love that and in my relationship 16 years sold our house moved in by myself which i hadn't done in i can't you know since 1967 or whatever (laughs) Um, 1842 1842 (laughs) i was trying to think some dinosaur year um and at the time i had a full-time job that ended and started modeling again so how my, long had you not been modeling? Like 10, 20, 10, 10 plus 15 plus okay. years. And literally it was like, I was at some kid's birthday party, a friend's kid's birthday party. And a casting director came up. It was such an LA moment mm. that I laughed out loud. <laughs> when all that ended and the new beginnings happened, it truly was it's a new book. It was a new book. And I say this because I was hearing myself go, I don't want to regret not doing something. Right. And so me stepping into this, that's what it was. So it's me stepping into being passionate every day. It's me finding, living with creativity all the time. Me being comfortable with myself and whatever that means all the time. So for me, it tr- that's where I am today. So two years later, every day is a new day. Right. And every day I am flourishing. And you know, I knew it was like I was a startup. I knew I was, had to plant seeds. And I worked my ass off flying back and forth between New York and L.A., I exposed myself to new things. I put myself out there. I was willing to do anything that I felt was positive and was moving it forward. And so now it's starting to happen. So for me with love, going back to the question was, what does love mean for me? Today, love for me, it certainly starts with myself. 
which it didn't necessarily do before. Right. I always put someone else first. Um, or that was my tendency because I didn't find that value in myself. And so that is something, and I purposely didn't want to date because I wanted to, I needed to put myself first so that I could love myself so that I could love someone else. Totally. You know, and it's, and it's just now coming into that where, you know, it's like, am I open to that? You know? And so to me, it's, it's, I will never suppress myself again. I will never not be my full self again with someone because to me at the end of the day, that's a disservice to that person and it's a disservice to myself and certainly the relationship that you're building. Do you still want kids? Yeah. You know, it's a thing that I think about a lot if it's possible because I certainly didn't want to do it alone because mm-hmm. I like the idea of being, doing, being it with a partner and creating that family unit. Um, but I am 48. I will be 49 in August. Right. And I, I think for me, it might just me. Oh God, it can make me cry again. It's just, um, it's just, uh, it's something I dreamt about, and it maybe it's just, it's just looking at the dream differently. Yeah. You know, um, and what family means to me. Totally. So, you're amazing. Oh. I'm so happy we did this. Oh, me too. Thank no, you. No, honestly, it's like I, I mean, I, I've known you on a peripheral level for so long, and I didn't ever really know who you were. Sure. And it's rare that you get to sit down with somebody and have a conversation like this, if ever, where you can be so brutally honest with each other, even though we have these like weird microphones in our faces. <laughs> For me, it's the best way you can actually get to know somebody. Oh, completely. I would encourage everyone to do this. Yes, come on to the podcast. Come on. <laughs> no, but again, thank you for wanting to include me in this because I, one, I have. I mean, you know, I feel about you. I just think yeah. I think you're an incredible human being. Thank you, dear. Um, I'm gonna say this. The like. The immediate attraction to you as a person was because of the fact that I saw so much of myself in you. Like, it's weird. Like, we could be related in a second, you know? Totally. And so that was like, the like, oh, wow. I'm going to learn more about myself from him than other people I know. Well, thank you. So much love to you, dear friend. Thank you. Hey guys, thanks for listening to this week's episode of The Love Bomb. Follow me on Instagram at Nico Tortorella and follow Eric at Mr. Period Rutherford. That's at M-R period R-U-T-H-E-R-F-O-R-D. See you next Tuesday. Well, he is fluid. That's what I mean. And I am moist. I thought it was part of the... (laughs) Is that how you're defining yourself today? Moist. Moist. Well, that's what I said. Fluid reminds me of the word moist. Nico, 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 Nico.